rocha. Well, good morning, Grace Life Church. Well, that's loud. Hope I didn't startle anybody. So thankful that you're here. This is a really exciting morning for our church. We're opening up to phase three. We have our K through fifth grade classrooms in the back open for registration, and we're reintroducing some refreshments like coffee in the front, so you can grab a cup of coffee if you didn't get one. And uh, it's just a beautiful morning to gather together and worship God, and just to remind ourselves why we're here. And uh, I want to Issue a special welcome to those of you for, who are watching from home. We're thankful for the technology that enables you to do that. And for those of you that are safe and comfortable coming in person, we're thankful for you too. I'm going to read a passage from Psalm 77 that stood out to me this week. And uh, it's ASAP. And he is he's struggling. He's fighting the good fight. He's saddened. We don't really know what the occasion is. But he's beginning to doubt God's faithfulness. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you are there this morning, and this will encourage you. As a greeting, this is what he says. He says, will the Lord spurn forever? Psalm 77, verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion This is a man of God who wrote the Bible, and that prayer, his thoughts, his wrestlings and strivings with God have been recorded. Sometimes we forget that godly men and godly women struggle with the same things we do. He's thinking, what is going on with God? Has he forgotten about me? Has his compassion been shut up forever? Has his steadfast love fallen to the ground? And then this is really interesting. In verse 10, it starts a new section in that psalm. He says this, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And here's what he's doing. He's he's thinking, I'm going to appeal this. I'm going to appeal this. I know this can't be true. These are just my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, and they can't always be trusted. I'm going to appeal by remembering the past. I'm going to remember how faithful God has been in the past to me. And then he says this. Verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people. The children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. And that, my friends, is why we're here today. We are here to appeal. (laughs) We're here to appeal together to resist the works of Satan. That's what the message is about. Don't fall for it. Part two, join the resistance. We're here to appeal and to remember together to celebrate the works of God, his redemption, his faithfulness, his steadfast love, his devotion to his people, his loyalty to us, his love for us, how it's been demonstrated time and time again. We see this not only in the Bible, but we see this in our own lives. Here we are. We're still here. 
God has held on to us. He has kept us in his grip. We have been the apple of his eye. And it's good to remember these things together. That's why we have communion once a month so that we don't forget. We remember who God is and what he's done on our behalf. So I want to extend to you our traditional Grace Life welcome. Whether you're here in person or watching from home, we do this every week uh, to just help people remember. So we're going to put it up on the screen here. To all who mourn and need comfort. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, like the psalmist did, if God's forgotten. To all who fail and need strength. Maybe you're exhausted right now. The whole nation seems to be. The whole world seems to be. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And to whoever else will come, this church, Grace Life Church, opens wide her doors. And in the name of Jesus Christ offers you welcome. Let's worship together. Good morning, Grace. How are you guys doing? This is loud. Is this loud to you? No? Cool. You guys want to stay and worship with us? Cheers. 
more time. And I will God, we just pray that's our prayer. That as all this life is hitting us, Father, that we remember your love, your compassion for us, Father. We would not forget what you've pulled us out of. Who you are, and I'm loved by. 
Father God, we just thank you that we get our identity from you. You do not leave us in our sin, Father God. But you pulled us out of the pit. And it's because of your son, Father, that we have been able to be in your presence. We get the opportunity to be loved by a father like you. Love a perfect love, Father. Just praise you this morning, Father. We just ask that you would speak through Tommy in the message, Father. And you'd be reaching the people on the live stream, Father. This would be an opening testament for you, Father. We just ask that you would move this morning. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, worship team. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture this morning. Can turn there with me. The first one's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then the second one will be 1 Peter chapter 5. Just as uh, we're going to our next section of worship, we've worshiped the Lord in song 
And now we're going to worship him by just honoring his word. And I was just thinking about that as the uh, worship team was um, finishing up and um, how just listening to his word is a form of worship because when we're listening to his word, we're honoring it because we're trying to apply it to our life. And, and that's a form of worship. And I just wanted to say that this morning. And I also wanted to say how thankful I am for this worship team. Isn't that a wonderful worship team? They really love Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 11, 2 through 4. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. 1 Peter chapter 5, 6-9 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Good morning. Keep your Bibles open to uh, that passage that was just read there, and we'll be going, we'll be referencing those, and uh, in some ways this is kind of a topical message, um, so we're not going to stick just to one passage, but I don't want to make it where you get paper cuts either, turning all over the place, or get digitally distracted, flipping to this passage and that passage, but the Bible says a lot about our enemy, and it says a lot about our responsibilities to resist him and to engage in the battle, so I don't want to leave out an important verse I do want to pray before we get started, and then we'll dig in together. If you're here and this is uh, your first time in a while, welcome back. And if you missed last week, that's okay. This is uh, the final message in just a little short two-part series about spiritual warfare uh, that we've entitled Don't Fall For It. So um, I'll catch you up in just a second. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the worship that we have already engaged in. And thank you for accepting our worship, even though it's flawed. On this side of heaven, you accept it because Christ has cleansed it, Lord. All of our worship, we can, as the, the Bible says, we can approach your throne with confidence, even with boldness, with eagerness, with expectation, not having to tiptoe into your presence, wondering whether or not we're welcome there, we're accepted there. Your word has already told us that because of Jesus Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. And not only that, Lord, you delight, you delight to draw near to us. And to hear from us, our songs of, of deliverance, our prayers, our petitions, our thanksgivings. You, you welcome us, Lord, when we get on our knees with an open Bible, when we gather together in person. So help us today to do what this sermon is going to call us to do. Help us to do it together. We're better together when we do these things. And give me wisdom, Lord, and, and anoint my lips. Help me to speak truth with passion and with clarity and with excitement. And help us to leave here changed and equipped to resist our enemy, Lord, our adversary. We pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Well, you can't read very far into the Bible, no matter where you start, whether you start in the Old Testament or whether you start in the New Testament. You're only going to get a few chapters into each of those before you encounter this really sinister and menacing enemy called Satan. It's called the devil. You get the word diabolic from the New Testament Greek word for devil, diabolos. He's diabolical, he's cunning, he's wicked, he's tricky, and he's also powerful, and he's organized, and he's strategic, and he watches, he prowls, he observes human beings to find their weak spots, their blind spots, to exploit those. In fact, that's the way he was introduced in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And then he starts hissing out his lies. So you can't get very far. Old Testament, three chapters. New Testament, how many people know how many chapters till you encounter Satan? Matthew. There's the genealogies, and then Christ comes on the scene, and he goes into the wilderness, and he encounters Satan, who tempts him. So three chapters in the Old Testament, four chapters in the New Testament, and it's really interesting. They're both different. One is a temptation in paradise between... Adam and Eve, and the other is a temptation in a wilderness, a desolate wasteland. One, Adam and Eve have each other, and they're in paradise. And the second one, the second Adam, Christ, had nobody. He was alone. Satan is a menacing enemy, and we find him everywhere. He's not omnipresent. I don't mean that. I mean, wherever God is building his kingdom in the hearts of his people, you're going to find Satan at work there, and he's usually behind the scenes. That's what it means to be cunning. You don't wave a flag, right, if you're an enemy and say, hey, I'm here. I'm here to withstand the Creator. I'm here to withstand the Redeemer. No, you're very subtle. You're very behind the scenes. That's what he prefers. He would, have, he would prefer the two extremes we talked about last week. Either you're completely ignorant that you're in a battle and that there is an enemy. And the passage we, we read said, be watchful, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, roar. He, he prowls around like a lion. If you've watched these African Serengeti videos, he's lying low in the weeds, trying to stay camouflaged, watching the weaker members of the flock that cut themselves out, off. Your adversary, that's what he prefers. But everywhere in the world that God is building his kingdom, you're going to find him at work there, trying to oppose, withstand, tempt, harm, afflict. I was telling Sarah, if you just read through the Bible, you don't find a lot of information about him. I mean, in the Old Testament, you're going to be hard-pressed to find instructions on how do you withstand Satan. You're not going to find it there. You see him at work. The book of Job is where he's the most pronounced, his presence, really, besides the garden. And then you see him, he's tempting David to number Israel. David, the, the mighty man after God's own heart, the warrior of Israel, the king who loved battle, he loved to fight, he slaughtered his tens of thousands. And how does Satan tempt him? How would you tempt David? If you were the devil, how would you tempt David? Well, he tempted him with pride. Do you remember? It says, now Satan incited, that's the word, incited David to number Israel. It's like, David, you're so powerful, you've commanded this vast army. Count them, count them, see how big it is. See how powerful you are. Nobody can withstand you. You've slaughtered Philistines and Malachites. Look how powerful you are. And David fell for it. I told you last week, Satan would be like a very skilled psychologist, which is just the study of human behavior. He watches. 
He waits. He analyzes. He takes notes. That's where he does his best work, behind the scenes, secretly opposing God's mission in the world, which means opposing you. Oh, yeah, I know where I was going with that. The two extremes. One, you're totally ignorant, oblivious of his presence and his efforts against you. And the other would be you're obsessed. You're obsessed with Satan. He's everywhere, right? If you had too much ice cream, it's the devil. If your lawn turns brown, if your cat dies, Satan's sovereign in some people's worldview. And he would, he would prefer you have either of those. He's fine with that. So even though we're not told much about him in the Old Testament, other than to see how he works, he tempts, he lies, he deceives, he destroys. In the New Testament, we're given some serious marching orders that we'd be foolish to ignore. And I told you last week, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Now, here's a test to see if you were listening. How many of the 27 books in the New Testament, either directly or indirectly, mention Satan and his pervasive influence? Louder. Thank you. All right. You guys were listening, both of you. <laughs> 26 of them. So, he's a lot more uh, acknowledged, I guess you could say, in the New Testament. That he's alive and that he's very tricky and he's very active. He's playing a very active role in opposing you. So we, we're given a lot more instructions in the New Testament. And last week we talked about not falling for Satan's methods, and that came right out of the passage that Cliff read, 2 Corinthians. Paul, strangely, he says, I'm afraid. The word is phobia. Here's an apostle, here's a man that stared Satan in the face, cast out demons, raised people from the dead saw the risen Christ, wrote inspired words of Scripture, and he says, I'm afraid. When I read that, it gets my attention. It arrests my attention. I say, what in the world would make an apostle scared? What would, make, what would scare Paul? And he says, I'm afraid for you, writing to a church that he planted. Here's an apostle. He spent 18 months planting this church, established elders there, and then went on his missionary way, and he writes them a letter, and he's concerned for them. He's jealous for them, it says, with a divine jealousy because he has betrothed them to Jesus. He's introduced them to their, to their husband. And he's like the father who's watching over an engaged daughter, keeping her pure, protecting her until the day that their wedding is consummated. And he says, I'm jealous for you because I'm afraid that just like the serpent enticed Eve, that Satan is enticing you and he's leading you away from this simple and pure devotion to Jesus. And then he says, and you're going to put up with it. You're going to put up with it because Satan has false teachers everywhere that he sows tares into the fields, right? False doctrine, lies, doubts, heresy. And he says, they're coming and they're preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel, and a diff they're offering you a different spirit. And you're putting up with it. And I'm afraid for you. So that's where we get the words, don't fall for it. Paul is afraid for them. You know, Satan loves complexity. Did you guys know that? Satan loves to complicate things. If somebody were to come to your door and knock on your door, and they represent, you know, a, a, a cult religion that's not a, a pure Christian religion, and, they, and, you, and you feel led to engage with them, and we were talking about this at our Men Knowing God, most of the time I'm not. Because I don't, I just, my temper just goes and I just tanks. <laughs> and then I get angry because they're not supposed to be in our neighborhood anyway. There's sp specific rules. Anyway, I get concerned for my neighbors, you know. But if you were to engage them, 
maybe ask this simple question. Hey, can I just hit the pause button here? How can I be put right with God? How can I be confident that I'm okay with God and that when I die, I'm going to be with the Lord? I'm secure that I'm saved. And you come back and you tell me how simple of an answer they give you. <laughs> well, there's this path, there's this, you got to make this trip, or you got to do this, or there's these pillars, or whatever it is. I can guarantee you every false religion in the world has a very complicated system of salvation, if they would even call it that. And then you come to Christianity, and what's the answer? Hopefully you guys would score 100 on this test and you would ace it. What must I do to be saved? Believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And then, of course, along with that is repenting from your sins, confessing Christ as Lord, and believing the truths that you see in the Bible, that he was the Son of God, that he bore your sins. He was raised from the dead, all of that. Very simple. Satan loves complexity. He loves to trick and deceive and heap layers of tradition and complexity and confusion on a simple gospel message. And that's the way he tricks a lot of people. He pulls them away. He leads them astray. He's very cunning. He introduces complexity and whispers doubt. And before you know it, you've lost, you've forgotten what Christianity is all about. It's just a system. It's a religion. It's an idea instead of devotion to a person and trust in a person. And enjoyment of that relationship. It's gotten complicated. That's what Satan does. And so we're given all these instructions in the New Testament. And we read this passage last week. I just want to pull it up for you to look at one more time and point, point something out. It is Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus. And this is the last part of the letter. And you would think the last part of the letter, he'd say, hey, uh, Anyway, things are going awesome. I love you. I miss you. Sincerely, your friend, Paul. That's not what he says. He says, hey, finally, I got one set of instructions to give you, one thing to remind you of. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the Authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We pointed this out last week. The word against is there six times. Paul's not messing around here. We can't plead ignorance. <laughs> we can't say, well, I just didn't know. Paul said, no, there's somebody out to get you. There's an evil day that you need to prepare for. See, following Jesus will lead you into intense conflict, conflict with evil. Following Jesus will lead you into this intense conflict with evil. Now, I don't want to discourage you by telling you that. In fact, let me encourage you by telling you this. Not following Jesus will lead you to a much more dangerous place. <laughs> okay? And... and I'm talking to Christians, Christians who have maybe just lost their way. They're in a season of maybe rebellion or apathy, and they're not actively following Jesus, even though he still, thank God, he still holds on to us, right? But they're not following him. That can lead you into a much more dangerous and sad and destructive place than if you're actively resisting Satan and you're actively following Jesus. But following Jesus will lead you into intense conflict with evil. And for that reason, Paul is reminding us, look, there's this invisible battle going on all around you and even inside of you, and you need armor. 
God has provided you resources, his resources. Put on the armor of God. It's his armor, and he gives it to you to protect yourself. And it's complete armor. You're lacking nothing. You have everything you need to engage in this battle with Satan. And then here's what I really wanted to talk about today. Um, let me get to the next one here. Here's what I wanted to talk to you about today, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. How do you fight Satan? And some people, man, they love that idea. They love that idea of, I want to fight Satan. I want to talk to Satan. I want to taunt Satan. But I want to go back to exactly what the Bible tells me to do and not to do. And here is, is undisputable instructions about what we're supposed to do. And by multiple different authors, Peter says this, James says this, Paul says this. So here's three quick passages, some we've already read. James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, that's a pretty amazing scripture if you think about it. With all the descriptions we've been thinking about for Satan, he's powerful, he's organized, he's mighty. Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. Jesus called him the God of this age. He's powerful. Some people believe, some theologians and scholars believe, he was the most powerful angel, Lucifer, before he fell. And this passage of Scripture, if I'm reading, if I'm reading my Bible right, it says, resist the devil and he will what? He will run away. Now, that's pretty outstanding if you think about it. This mighty, powerful angel is going to run away from me. And there's no trick of Scripture here. In the Greek, it's fugo. I mean, it's the same word used when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and Mary and said, flee to Egypt for the sake of the child's safety, Jesus. Flee. Escape means to escape, to run away. So there's no trick of Greek here or bad translation. This really does mean that if you do what James is telling you to do, the devil will run away from you. Does that make you feel flex-worthy, huh? Well, let me humble you. It's not you he's scared of, okay? I mean, in a way it is. It's the spirit within you. <laughs> so submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And that's key, by the way. That's another sermon for another day. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, next verse. Be sober-minded. Sorry, <laughs> getting old. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in the faith. Same word in Greek as James uses, anthistomy. It means to stand against something, to oppose it. Not to fall down, but to stand up to something. To not run away, it runs away. You withstand him. And then the last one is Ephesians 6, we just read. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You know, would, you, would you believe that that word withstand is anthistome too? Same word in Greek, all three places, three different authors telling us the same thing, resist Satan. Resist Satan. So I, I would just wonder if there are a lot of Christians today, and if you ask them, hey, what's the one thing that the Bible tells you to do, and, and the way you relate, if you even want to say that, it sounds creepy, how should I relate to Satan? I know he's my adversary, he hates me, he opposes me, so what is my responsibility to him? I wonder how many people would give the answer that the Bible undeniably, comprehensibly gives. Resist him. 
So then the, the question is, what, what would be the question you would have knowing that? How do I resist Satan? That's a really good question to ask, isn't it? How in the world am I supposed to resist Satan? Now, along with some of those passages come, come the answer to that question. Um, we have armor to put on. That's obviously one of the ways that you resist him. That's one of the ways that you resist him is you put on the armor of God. You don't leave yourself open and naked and exposed. You have a helmet. You have a belt of truth. You have a breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith. And you have the sword of the Spirit and you have prayer. I guess if prayer was a weapon, it'd be like a bullhorn, you know, to call the commander and say, Help, I need backup over here. You have all this armor that's been given to you. As you resist Satan, you're also doing something else. And this is, I think, the answer to why he, why he flees when you do this. Because as you resist Satan and follow the instructions of the New Testament, you're also growing in Christ-likeness. Resisting Satan, as it turns out in the Bible, is, is actually you fighting for joy. It's actually you following Jesus. And when Satan sees that, even though it infuriates him, it intimidates him too. He's scared. He's out. He may have, there may be crosshairs on you, but when he sees you doing this, you are resisting him. You are growing strong, firm in your faith, it says. Resist him, firm in the faith. And I, I would liken it like this, just because I went to a secular school. I wasn't saved until later in life. So I'm the freshman on campus, and you know what? I'll just use a hypothetical here. Let's just say you're in ninth grade, and the prettiest girl in the school, you'd love to be her boyfriend, right? She's gorgeous, she's friendly, she's polite, she's kind and humble, and she smiles at you, and you're just this nobody. And you're like, man, she's, she's so friendly, she's so pretty, I'm a nobody, I want her to be my girlfriend. I want to date her, I want to marry her. And then somebody says, bro, do you know who that is? And you're like, yeah, that's, you know, Mary or whoever. And he says, no, 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 she's taken. <laughs> she, she belongs to somebody, somebody else. Um, and you're like, Who? They're like the captain of the wrestling team, bro. <laughs> it's his girlfriend. You don't want to mess. You mess with her, you mess with him. So if you're, if you're an intelligent ninth grader, and there may be all kinds of problems with this, with dating too early and all that, just go with it, okay? I know she belongs to her dad. Not, I get all that. Um, <laughs> but if she's dating the captain of the wrestling team, and he's like a you know three-star athlete and all-conference, all-state, all-national you're probably not going to mess with her unless you're really dumb and really persistent, right? Terrible illustration, but Satan, when you resist Satan, you know you're, you're getting closer and closer to God. And Satan, as much as he hates God, he's scared to death of God. If you don't believe that, you read the New Testament and, and tell me the reaction that demons had every time they were in the presence of Jesus. They panicked. I mean, they, they let out a shriek. Who are you, most holy one? Have you come to torment us before the time? See, they know. They know that their doom is certain. They know what Paul told the Romans in chapter 16. Soon, soon Satan will be crushed. The God of peace will crush Satan beneath your feet. They know that their expir expiration date is getting closer. So when you get closer and closer to God, that intimidates and frightens the enemy. Makes him angry. But it scares them. It does. They say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because that's what the Bible says. And I take the Bible at its word. If you resist Satan, he's going to flee from you. If you're resisting him the way the Bible tells you to, he will flee. He will fugo. He will escape. He's going to find somebody that's a lot easier. Just like if you watch the animal world. Do you ever watch a lion chase 
I don't know. What do they chase, guys? Help me out here. A wildebeest? A gazelle? And you know what? They pick one out, and they chase it, and they chase it, and they chase it, and they chase it. And then, you know, David Attenborough says, the calories of a lion are burned so rapidly that eventually they give up chase and find a much more easier prey. Have you, have you seen those things? You're like, that's right. He knows he ain't going to catch this one. They're going back to the flock or the pack or whatever it is. He's going to find somebody that's a lot easier of a target. So when you resist Satan, he will flee from you. And so the Bible, you say, come on, pastor, get to the outline. I'm getting there. I just wanted to set it up the right way. So how do you resist Satan? Three ways, okay? There are three ways that you resist Satan. And as you are resisting him, you are also fighting for joy and growing in grace and being conformed to the image of Jesus. So this is like a win-win. This is not just spiritual warfare, even though it is that. This is how you grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So I actually have a two sets of outlines because you're doing two different things when you engage in these things. So we're going to talk about three. Remember, Satan loves to complicate things. I, I bought a book, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was because the author's awesome and the book was incredible, but it was just too much information for me as a brand new believer. I wanted to know, now that I'm a Christian, I want to follow Christ. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. What do I do? I was like 22 years old, brand new Christian. And I bought a book, and it had like 14 spiritual disciplines in it or something like that. Now, that's cool. I, I like details, but that was too much for me. It had like, you know, journaling and solitude and fasting, and, and those are all awesome, and they're in the Bible. But I was a brand-new Christian, and I got lost in the complexities, and I tried to do all of them, and I just gave up. Not on all of them. I mean, I, I still follow Jesus, but I was confused. So I, I want to recommend a book today, the Bible what I'm preaching from, but this is a book, and it has a lot of details in it too, but it's, there's three major themes in this book, and that's my outline today. Uh, what do, and it's called Habits of Grace by David Mathis, and the subtitle is this, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And I, I love the subtitle almost as much as I love the title because I think it's really easy for Christians to forget that God loves you and God created you to enjoy him. Did you know that? You know Satan wants you to forget that and not believe that? God created you to enjoy him. That's why you exist. That's what the Westminster Shorter or Larger Catechism says. What's the chief end of man? Somebody answer that. What's the chief end of man? What's the, the main reason why mankind was created? What is it? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that comes right out of the Bible. Isaiah 43. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, those whom I have created for my glory. God loves you. He redeemed you. And he wants you to enjoy him. That's why he created you. How do I do that? How can I enjoy How can I optimize and maximize my enjoyment of God? Well, here's three starters. Here's three ways. The word, you hear his voice, the word of God, the Bible. You have his ear prayer you're talking to god because you're in a relationship with him and then the third thing is you belong to his body and that's fellowship that's worship that's what we're doing in here today do you know that we have been resisting satan for the last whatever however long we've been in here we've been resisting satan together but that's not all we've been doing we don't just gather together every week to fight satan i mean okay there's bigger things going on too he just hates the bigger things so he doesn't want you to do them we're here to enjoy God. We're here to grow. We're here to fight for joy. 
And as we do that, oh, we happen to resist Satan and he flees. And it's almost a uh, conundrum because he does flee, but you've engaged him when you do those things. I think Satan most wants to oppose churches that focus on the cross and the resurrection. So that's our outline, Um, the resistance. Hear his voice, have his ear, and belong to his body. And I think I put it differently. Uh, Yeah, so you can say that you're resisting in this outline too. You're resisting Satan's lies with truth. You're resisting Satan's accusations. Do you know the Bible says that he is an accuser of the brethren? I was telling one of my kids this the other day. When you slander somebody... When you gossip about somebody, which is assassinating their character without them being there to defend themselves, you're never more like Satan than when you do that because he is an accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 says he accuses the brethren day and night. Ceaselessly, he accuses Christians. So what can you do when Satan is accusing you? You can combat that with what? With confessing, yeah. Some of those things are true. It's what Martin Luther said to do. He says, yeah, that's right, Satan, that's right. But, <laughs> but I belong to Jesus, and he's cleansed me of that sin. He's forgiven me. So resist his lies with the word of God. Resist his accusations with prayer, confession. That's one dynamic of prayer. And you can resist darkness, secrecy, isolation. How can you resist that? By walking in the light together in fellowship. Man, Satan hates this. When we sing together... Oh, Satan hates that. Hates it when we sing the truths that we were singing earlier. It's who I am. Satan hates that. He wants you to forget who you are. He wants you to forget whose you are. So I'm getting ahead of myself here. And you're going to find this all through the Bible. These three things, every place in the Bible you find healthy, flourishing, vibrant Christians, you're going to find they're engaged in these in one form or another. And here's, here's one example um, in the book of Acts, and I preached on this before, but check this out. Tell me if you see these three dynamics here. I've helped you. I've underlined them and bold-faced them, okay? This is right after the sermon at Pentecost that Peter preached. First church, the first Christian church. And they devoted themselves, and that word devoted means to give yourself completely away to something. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's that? I mean, the New Testament wasn't written yet. It's being written. That It's kind of strange, but yeah, that's the New Testament. The apostles' teaching and the fellowship, koinonia, it means a deep union and partnership, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It sounds so simple and mundane. To some people, it may even sound boring, but look what happened. And awe. I can't say that right because I'm from Arkansas. And they were astonished. I'll say it like that. That's what the word means. They were blown away and astonished at the power and the majesty of Christ and what the Holy Spirit was accomplishing in them, among them, and around them, doing miracles, bringing people into the kingdom. They were blown away. They were resisting Satan. They were fighting for joy. They were growing in grace, and the church was being built. Everywhere you see Christians engaged in those things, you're going to see a resisted enemy, and you're going to see healthy, strong. You can consider those three food groups if you want to. I read earlier in Canada, they've reduced the five food groups to uh, three food. I don't know how you do that, but they did, you know. Uh, so if you're into, like, food group analogies, these are the three essential food groups. No desserts in here. These are just the, the three essentials. 
If you're feasting on these things, you're going to be healthy, you're going to grow, you're going to have a strong immune system, which a lot of people are talking about right now, and maybe some people aren't talking about it. You know, there's lots of ways. You're saying you're getting political. No, I'm not. There's lots of ways to fight sickness. You know, one of them is have a healthy immune system, right? Eat good stuff. Exercise. Put good things in your body. And put good things into your soul so you can resist the enemy and grow and be healthy and be strong. And put on your armor. So, uh, the, the outline's going to be fast, guys, I promise, okay? We got, we got communion here today, and my phone's totally messing up. So, just want to make sure I'm, I got the right time. So, uh, that's the outline. Let's just go through these real, real fast. Number one, hear his voice. Hear the voice of God. You have his word. You have God's self-expression of himself to you. What a gift. What a tremendous gift. Talk about all the complexities. You have one book that reveals your creator to you and his plan for all the ages and you being a part of that plan. You've got a better story that has a happy ending now and it's been given to you. And there are so many ways that you can access it. I'm reading the uh, biography of Martin Luther and it's just talking about how critical it was for translating the Bible into the common language in that day. And I think so often we take that for granted. I mean, how many, how many Bible apps are there and various translations, whatever your preference is. you got the message, you got the NIV. If you like paraphrases, if you like word-for-word word Greek translations, you've got the New American Standard or the ESV. It's like, what do you, what do you want? You want it in, in street leather? There's even, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy even translations of the Bible. Some I'd be hesitant to even recommend. But all people are doing are taking the words of the Bible in Greek and Hebrew and some parts Aramaic, and they're putting it into common language so people can understand it. So we can't, we can't cite that for an excuse, well, it just wasn't available. Oh, it is available. It is available in your language. And it's free. You don't even have to pay for it. But some people paid for that with their life, with blood. They have old Bibles that were taken from the Fox's Book of Martyr times with, with the blood stains of the martyrs still on them. It's pretty incredible, actually. One of my kids left their Bibles up here. And uh, one of our crazy elders made him memorize a <laughs> made him memorize a verse of scripture in order to get it back, which I thought was was awesome. And it was a it's a good verse, Hebrews four twelve, and it says this. Now this is about the word of God. See, so often we think that we just well the Bible you just read it. Did you know that the Bible is alive? Did you know that? You think you're reading it, and you are, but guess what? It's reading you too. You think you're analyzing the Bible? It's analyzing you. And that's a good thing. You need it to. We need to be analyzed. Here's that verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, <clears throat> or discerning, if you're from up north, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, you tell me any other document that does that that lays you open and analyzes you so that you can be filled up. So that you can, these things don't just give you an advantage or give you weapons, they give you God. You're getting the mind of Christ when you read the Bible. It's the most powerful and potent weapon you have. It's alive, it's active, it's energized, it can penetrate in a good way, not to wound you, but to heal you. It's like, I think I said this years ago, the word there for sword is like this six-inch dagger, which doesn't, it tells you this is hand-to-hand -hand combat, okay? You're not like slingshotting things at your enemy. 
You're, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're grappling. This is like uh, MMA, okay? If you're in the, it's like mixed martial arts, man. You're like hand-to-hand combat, and you've got this little dagger. And it's a surgical instrument. The word in Greek can mean a surgical instrument. Isn't that amazing? To like slice you open, to heal you. Those places that you're just suffering and languishing and you're bitter and you're angry. The Bible can lay you open and bring healing. Bring the bomb of Gilead. (laughs) Ephesians 6, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you have this sword, this dagger, and it says, of the Spirit. The Spirit authored the Bible. The Spirit energizes and empowers the Bible. The Holy Spirit interprets the Bible for you. Man, you're in, a good, you're in good standing with this. These are good weapons. These are good weapons. You don't have to wonder if you got somebody's hand-me-down sword to go into battle. You've seen some of those movies, you know? You're like, well, all we got is this rusty piece of junk here. Sorry, good luck. <laughs> you got the best possible weapons you can have. And interestingly enough, not trying to geek out today on you, but these words matter. There's a word uh, for word. <laughs> you had the word of God, and the word normally would be logos. That's a, like a generic catch-all word for, for word in Greek. But that's not the word used here. The word used here is rhema. Rhema. And, and more than word, it means a saying. Now, this is instructive if you listen. Check this out. (laughs) So let's just say it's the evil day. You know, Paul says, hey, put on this armor so that when the evil day comes and it seems like everything's against you, you ever have one of those days? The phone rang and you answered it and oh my word. Or any number of scenarios could happen, okay? You get the diagnosis. You check the internet browser history. You read your kids' text messages. I don't know, whatever it is. The evil day comes. And it's Satan. You don't just throw your Bible at him, (laughs) okay? He'll catch it and say, yeah, I know this too. (laughs) No, there's, there's a saying. There's a saying. How are you being tempted? What lies is the enemy whispering into your ear? Because listen, there's a saying. There's a specific part of the Bible, which is why it's so important to be familiar with Scripture, to kind of know your way around. Because you can, did you, I, I hate to tell you this, there's a way that you can use the Bible and hurt people. Did you know that? Maybe you've been a victim of that. I, I know that I have, and I know I've hurt people with the Bible too. I've given them good truths at wrong times or powerful truths for situations they weren't really in yet or I've misread their situation. Now, I don't say all that to intimidate you. I say this to encourage you. Know the Bible, and you know what? You're going to know how to combat the accusations of the enemy when they come. When he's telling you you're all alone in the world, you have nobody. You say, oh, that's not what my Bible says. Didn't Jesus have a verse when he was in the wilderness? For it is written, do not tempt the Lord your God. For it is written, for it is written, for it is written. And then Satan went away. You have a saying. Wendy Alsup uh, has written some helpful things about this. So the accusation, or maybe, maybe it's even you. Maybe, say, maybe it's not Satan. Maybe it's just you accusing yourself. You are worthless. No, I have been adopted into God's family, and I've been given the title heir and joint heir with Christ. That's an identity battle. 
And that's a saying. See, you pulled a saying from Ephesians and from Romans. You don't just learn the Bible to win Bible drills, guys. Can I say that? I get it. Those are important. I did them when I was a kid, and it's fun, and it feels rewarding as a kid. But there's something a lot deeper going on, you know, in the the battle. You are doomed to repeat your past behavior. The accusation comes. No. (laughs) God has not only begun a good work in me, but he promises to continue transforming me until the day I'm presented as a spotless bride of Christ in heaven. That's Philippians 1. You will always be an addict, even if you don't act on it. No, by his wounds I'm healed. And she goes on. There's all these sayings, not just throwing the Bible. (laughs) Or with some people, they grew up maybe watching football, and all they have is, which is powerful, John 3.16, that's it. They go in their ammo closet, and there's like one saying, and they don't even really know what it means. They're like, ah, and that's it. Read your Bible. Know your Bible. Listen, not, that's not legalism. It's not legalistic to read the Bible. God loves it when you read his truth. When you start getting prideful about it and tell everybody else they have to adopt your reading plan, that's when you've crossed a barrier into legalism. And that's Satan. That's how sinister Satan is, guys. That's how cunning he is. He would take something beautiful and powerful and enjoyable, like reading the Bible, and turn it into a duty or turn it into a test of faithfulness. You've got to do it this way, and you've got to read this translation. I read a post on Facebook, or you know what? Somebody told me about a f- <laughs> That's the thing about being offline. Somebody says, hey, did you see this thing? And you're like, no, I don't want to see it. But it was somebody that I knew, and they, were, and they were dragging good, godly people through the dirt because they brought their phone to church instead of a paper copy of the Bible. Can I just say how stupid that is? I'm sorry. If some of you are really sensitive to you have to have a Bible, let me help you as your pastor. I'm just thankful all of you brought something that has the Bible in it, okay? Maybe I crossed the line. Everybody got really quiet in here. <laughs> I'm serious. Satan loves that stuff. There's enough stuff to fight about in the world than what kind of Bible you bring to church or what device you use. Good grief. Anyway, moving along here. (laughs) Point number two, have his ear in prayer. Have his ear in prayer. Prayer is, uh, simply put, it's talking to God. It's relational, it's personal, it's powerful. And it's all over the place. I mean, pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6, that passage we read earlier. If you do not think that prayer is part of the battle, I want to remind you of a really powerful and interesting passage in the Old Testament. It's found in Exodus. Children of Israel were going through the wilderness, and the Amalekites were a a very real threat to them. And so God tells Moses and Joshua, I want you to go out down into the valley tomorrow. I want you to fight with the Amalekites. And Joshua is going to lead the charge. Now, Joshua was like a Navy SEAL of commanders, man. I would not want to. There's two people in the Old Testament I wouldn't want to fight, David and Joshua. I worked for a Navy SEAL in California, and we were out running one day in the mountains. And I said, hey, seriously, man, you could kill me, couldn't you? And he looked at me, and he said, yeah. I said, well, it wouldn't be easy. And he said, yeah, it'd be easy. And I, and I said, well, seriously, man. I said, you're, this guy knew Greek and Hebrew, and he knew the Bible. And I said, 
how much of a chance do you think that you would stand against David? And I said, without the Holy Spirit, you know, just you, man to man. He said, he would tear me to pieces. Wouldn't stand a chance. He said, the way they trained in the Middle East, no way, no way. So here's like Joshua, man. And he's leading this army into battle. And you think, man, this whole battle depends on Joshua and his soldiers. But it didn't. Do you remember this story? Because Joshua went down in the valley to fight hand-to-hand combat with the Amalekites, this fierce opposing enemy. But Moses, with his friends, Aaron and there's one other guy. What was his name? Ur, thank you, yeah. I think it was those three guys. They went up to the top of the mountain, and Moses said, he told Joshua, he said, tomorrow you go in the valley and fight, and I'm going to go up on the mountain and watch. (laughs) He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to go up on the mountain, and I'm going to hold my staff up. Now, what do you think that represents? You don't have to be a genius to figure it out. He's holding up the rod of God. He's he's praying on behalf of Joshua and the Israelites for victory and for them to prevail. Now, if you were just standing back watching, you would think, what a weirdo. What's he doing up there? This is good, man. Get him, Joshua. Oh, it's the Amalekites. Oh, no, it's like a football game, back and forth. You would think that the battle had absolutely nothing to do with what's going on up there, and you'd be totally wrong. Because the Bible says when Moses got tired and his hands started to fall, the Amalekites prevailed. But when he was strengthened by Aaron and Ur, and they even at one point, they put a a chair or like a rock or something under him, and they lifted up his hands and held him up. About every year I'll do this with my younger kids. I'll say, hold your hands up in the air. We'll study this passage, and I'll say, how long do you think you can hold him out there? I can hold him out there forever. Okay, cowboy, go ahead. And they last like five minutes because, you know, you get tired holding your hands out. But it says when Moses' hands began to droop, the Amalekites would prevail. When his hands were held up, Joshua prevailed. And here's the interesting thing. After, after that battle, after that battle, um, God commanded Moses to commemorate it. And just to, just to ruin the story for you, uh, the Israelites win, <laughs> okay? Because of prayer. And God told Moses, commemorate this, build an altar. And so he built an altar And it's called, in Hebrew, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Man, I like that. I like that. Do you like that? I like that. When you're battling Satan and you're praying, you're thinking, is this, what am I even doing here? Is this even making a difference? I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling. What if you were fighting this fierce enemy? And they come onto the battlefield and they're looking at your armor. They're not. I've never read of an opponent looking at the armor of the opposing army and, and going, oh, <laughs> and running away. But what if, what if the king who was undefeated was on the throne and you were beside him with your hand on the throne? And you're like, come on, you're like Matrix, right? <laughs> you might not run it, rush into the battle so quickly, would you? It's like, hey, come on, we're going to fight. And here's God. And he's already dealt a crushing blow to you, and he's going to crush you under his feet very soon. But we can come on, and this is between D-Day and V-Day. We can fight, but my hand's right here, bro. Come on. I got his word. I got his ear. I belong to his body. Come on. Let's do it. Let's dance. That would make all the difference in the world, and I can't help but think of when me and my brother, I always cry thinking, sorry, about my childhood, and my, my parents are still alive, so man, you know I'm really going to cry years from now when they're 
<clears throat> anyway, we grew up in the south down a gravel road, and there were Doberman pinchers everywhere. I don't know why. But man, they always terrified me. If you have one, no offense, they're just kind of scary. And our neighbors had one, and my brother and I would be in the backyard playing basketball, and that dumb dog would come. He was big, bigger than he probably was in my imagination. He would run up into the yard and just harass my brother. I think he knew. I think he knew what he was doing. I think he was satanic. <laughs> and we couldn't enjoy the yard. It was our yard. What in the world is that dog doing in my yard? This is my yard, and I can't even play basketball. And we would freeze. And we would say, Dad! Dad! <laughs> and if it was Saturday, my dad would be around, and he would come into the yard. Oh, man, I can just see it. And, and the thing that came out of my dad's mouth, it wasn't really words. It was just, it was a saying. <laughs> it was something like, get on out of here, or something like that. And the dog got it. The dog understood. The dog left. Hand on the throne of the Lord. It was like, the closer I was to my daddy, the more afraid that dog was. And you know what he did? He fugoed in Greek. He fled. He escaped. He ran. And man, it emboldened me. Then we'd get on our bikes and ride down there and throw rocks at him, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not cruel to animals. I had cats and still do. Anyway, you hear God's voice from his mouth. You have his ear in prayer. And by the way, let me add this. This isn't in the outline, but I was on the way to, uh, and you're going to think I'm bragging. I promise I'm not. My kid, when my kids do cool things, it's in spite of me. It's either because of my wife or because of the Lord. But I was taking my kids to school in Lake Helen, which is east, early the other morning, um, before the time change. So the sun was just coming up in the sky, and everything was wet. You could see spider webs in the dew. And one of my sons said, Daddy, didn't God make the world beautiful? And you know, it's election time. I had the talk radio on trying to catch them back and forth. I'm already angry. And my son's seeing beauty in the world. He said, didn't God make the world beautiful? And I turned it off and I said, he sure did, son. He sure did. And he said, if I was a horse and God made me and put me in that pasture over there, I'd be so happy. And he's just looking at a pasture over here, a field, with horses in it, romping and playing and eating grass. And it just reminded me of the scripture in Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 is a, is a, uh, it's a crazy narrative in the Old Testament because King Uzziah has just died by God's judgment. He died a leper because he transgressed the Lord's commandments. And he was a good king at one time. And he'd been a king for many, many years, and so the whole nation would have been thrown in turmoil. Hey, King Uzziah just died. God judged him. He's dead. What are we going to do? The enemies are going to hear. Nobody knew what was going on. And the Bible says that Isaiah went into the temple, and he had a vision. God wanted to remind him, hey, things look ugly, but I'm on my throne right now. But here's what's interesting about that story. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6 says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his throne room. And the train of his robe filled the whole temple. And there were cherub floating in the air. And they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, I can promise you that right then, what was going on in that nation, people weren't seeing God's glory everywhere. They were seeing darkness and division and hate and angst and anger and ugliness and protest and looting and all kinds of stuff. 
probably, wow, what just happened? Did I just go America 2020? They weren't seeing God's glory. And you know what? Satan's pretty happy with that. One of the things he would love to do, you know Satan's a good blinder. He loved, I told you that verse in Luke 22 with Peter last week. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you, demanded you so that he may sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. And the word for fail is eclipso. So that I've prayed for you so that he can't totally eclipse you from the beauty of who I am and who I'm turning you into. And I think Satan loves to eclipse us to beauty. Not just the beauty of Jesus. Guys, he, he wants to eclipse you to the beauty and the glory of God everywhere. He would much rather you be enraptured by hate and anger and ugly things and watch what I've read is like an, a, the amount of social media and television. Satan's happy with all that because you're not going to be engaged in these things. That was for free. So all that to say this, these, these disciplines, these means of grace, these resistances, we're talking about prayer. You know what? Go outside and pray. Man, that's like double whammy. <laughs> Go enjoy the beauty of God in creation. I mean, it'd be one thing to pray in a wet, dirty basement. I guess you could do that. But you could go to the beach, too. You live in Florida. Man, use the tools God gave you. It's a beautiful. It was like 68 degrees the other night. We went in my backyard. Oh, my word. I was in heaven. It's beautiful. I was seeing God's glory everywhere. Till my baby had a dirty diaper, and then the glory went away. All right, anyway, moving right along here. Third point, and we're, and we're done. Man. Guys, you know what? I'm going to call an audible. I'm not, I don't, don't want to shortchange y'all. This is a really, really powerful point. And I want to I wait till next week, and we'll just devote the whole thing to this. Because it's about fellowship together, and it's about corporate worship. And how that is not only a form of resisting Satan... It's a form of fighting for joy and growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And i got an incredible story I want to tell you, too. Um, so let's just stop there. we got communion today. And uh, I've given you two, two resistances, okay? So join the resistance this week. You've got God's voice, and you have God's ear with prayer. Uh, and we're corporately worshiping right now. And you know what? We're about to corporately resist Satan right now by remembering who we are in Christ and what Jesus did for us. So let's pray, and servants, uh, you can get ready to, to serve communion. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for prayer and for worship, which is what we're doing right now. Would you please attend us, Lord? Attend us. Be present. Help us to remember this is not a meaningless ritual or an empty tradition, Lord. It's not just uh, dead symbolism. This is something powerful and meaningful, and filled with truth and with, and with value and with glory. So help us to do it with excitement, Lord. And We trust you and we love you and we're grateful. We're grateful for who you are and for what you have done on our behalf. And we pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to let the worship team play as we uh, prepare our hearts. And I don't even know if I, uh, we haven't had K through fifth grade in so long. I've forgotten that we usually, if you have a, a child in K through fifth uh, that's believed the gospel and belongs to Jesus,
and you want them to be a part, um, you want them to join you and celebrate communion, by all means, please take your time and go back there. Uh, I think probably the teachers have been notified about that. Or, or yeah, I'm sorry, I totally, I forgot about that. So we'll, we'll give everyone just a minute or two to do that. Um, but as you're sitting here, maybe you can rehearse the first two things that we talked about. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you are totally, I'm going to talk about this next week. Maybe you are totally out of the practice of habitual prayer. And you're embarrassed. If somebody asked you, hey, tell me about your prayer life, you'd be so embarrassed. Because you don't even really feel like you have one. I want, you know Satan wants you to stay there. He wants you to stay there for guilt and for shame. But he, he also wants you to think it's so hard. It's too hard. It's too, it's too complicated to build that habit. It is not. It is not. That is a lie. And God is so filled with grace. And he still wants you to come to him and talk to him and enjoy him. That's what prayer is. When you can just empty your heart, empty your burdens and leave them in the presence of God and be filled with truth and beauty and power and majesty. So maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the beginning of the resistance for you. You say, Lord, I want you to help me make some new habits in my life. Let's not call them, let's not call them uh, resolutions, okay? <laughs> let's just call them habits. That's what they are, habits of grace. And say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading my Bible. <laughs> I'm, maybe you're a new Christian and you don't even know where to start. That's okay. That's okay. You know this book that I told you about? It's absolutely free online at the Desiring God website. How about that? Don't you love that? Satan hates that. He wants you to pay for that book. <laughs> it's free. It's a free resource. You can go to Desiring God, and we'll, Megan, maybe we can throw a link up there for him. It's a PDF, free. But maybe just where you're sitting right now in the quietness of your seat, maybe you can just bow your head and just talk to God for a minute. Say, Lord, it's me, remember? <laughs> it's been a while. I pray with the other Christians at our community group if you go and, and at church. But this is just me and you. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me and wanting me and wanting me to enjoy you. You have so much more to offer me, to give me joy than the world does. And, and Satan's blinded me to your glory. Help me resist him. Help me to see that glory in new and fresh ways starting right now. Do you know what communion is? This is us resisting Satan, rebelling against Satan, and fighting for joy. It's us fighting to remember who God is in Christ, what he's done about our problems. We had sin, and Jesus bore our sin, and he bore our shame, and he died in our place. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's good news. That's why it's called gospel. That means good news best news in the world promise you you're not going to hear it on the radio this week unless you tune into 88.3 or whatever it is <laughs> you're going to hear more rancor and that's why I didn't I didn't talk about the election today you know why you've heard probably all you want to hear about the election what I'll say is Romans 14 welcome one another without quarreling <laughs> right everybody has their own opinion we're looking for a better country right the Bible says we're a part of God building a, a permanent kingdom and that's that's good news so let's pray and I'm gonna invite our servers to come down Lord thank you again for this opportunity to remember who we are in Christ that you are transforming us into the image 
of Jesus from one level of glory to the next. As we behold you, that's what we're about to do. We're about to behold you, Lord. We're about to sit like we are in an art gallery, and we're going to stare at something powerful and beautiful, something that is able to move us and to astonish us and to fill us with awe and to actually change us. So may this be a part of our resistance and our fight for joy and our, our struggle to seek glory is just to handle and taste and touch and remember, Lord, what this represents today. Your body broken for us. Your blood shed for us. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. This is for Christians. If you have believed the gospel, if you've confessed in your heart that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you are following Jesus, then this is for you. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this. And he said, this is, a, this is a sober event because it reminds us we're so sinful, Jesus had to die for us. That's sobering. But it's a joyful event because, listen, Jesus cares so much about you, he was glad to give his life on your behalf. He was happy to do that. So we can joyfully and soberly partake of this together. And this is us reminding us why Christianity is different from every other religion in the world. Did you guys know that? Christianity is different. You know why it stands out? Because, listen, Christianity says it is finished, done. Every other religion says do. There's things for you to do before you can be right with God, and they're complicated. <laughs> Christianity says it's simple. Jesus died for sinners. Do you believe? So it's divine accomplishment versus human effort. That's what communion is all about. And we use these uh, strange wafers and crackers because of uh, the pandemic. So this has all been sanitized and our servers are wearing gloves. It's kind of weird, but we're doing that because we love our neighbor, right? We want everyone to feel safe and be safe. So I would recommend that before we get to the part where we do this together, that you go ahead and peel that top part off because there's two little peels and they're tricky. read a, a passage for us while we finish distributing the elements. This is from Isaiah. It's one of the clearest Old Testament passages about how the suffering servant would come and would redeem his people. And it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's good news, isn't it? That's what this symbolizes here today. Well, let me read what Paul said about this, and then we'll do it together. Has everyone been served? All right. This is uh, 2 Corinthians. Or excuse me, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11, this is what Paul said. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are doing this together, and as we do it, we are remembering what Jesus did. We are proclaiming his death, and we are resisting the enemy, and we are fighting for joy. Let's do it together. Lord, thank you again for what this symbolizes and signifies that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed for us so that we could be cleansed, so that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be reconciled to God and belong to you forever, Lord, and know that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that tremendous promise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let our servers be seated and uh, remind everybody that there's a basket in the back. We're partners with the school and we want to take good care of, of, of this premise. So when you, when you leave, um, put this in the basket back there. The Bible says that the night that Jesus led his disciples in the final supper, that they crossed the valley and they sang a hymn together. So do we have a hymn today we're going to sing? Listen, guys, Satan hates singing. He does. I think it was Amy Carmichael said, when the, when the saints song, when the saints, <laughs> when the saints sing the songs of the redeemed, the devil quietly lets himself out the back. So let's stand together. And uh, before we leave today, don't leave yet. I'm going to call Melissa down here and we're going to have an announcement or two and we want to pray over her. So uh, lead us. For the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Satan tempts me to despair 
and tells me of the guilt within upward I look and see him there who made him into all my because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the just Look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Behold him there in the prison land. My perfect unchanged. seated and I want to ask Melissa where you at Mel come on down here it's not the price is right or anything but come on down (laughs) Melissa and her family Dave and Lola and I'm staring into the camera I know that Dave and Lola are at home watching this when we uh, were led to plant Grace Life Church in Deltona Melissa and her family were I think not one of the first but like the first family say hey look we're there we feel called to be a part of this mission, and uh, we want to be part of a strong gospel witness in this community. And one of Melissa's gifts, and I feel like I'm telling you things you already know, one of her gifts is counseling and advocating and loving people who are marginalized and um, just need help. Melissa's been a champion for that since I've known her, which is like half our life now, over 20 years. She's been like best friends with my wife and I. Our kids call her Auntie Mel. So not only has she been a part of this church, for the last six years, she's been a part of our family, and uh, she's a very skilled biblical counselor. She is able to listen to people share their struggles and their problems, and she's able to take the Word of God and take the message of the gospel and just skillfully and lovingly and patiently apply it to their life. Uh, she's been doing that for a long time. She's been doing it for a job since, you know, years now, since she came here. She started Beholding and Becoming, and then she transitioned into being a remote counselor for Fieldstone Counseling, who is stationed in Ohio. And I'm not surprised, um, but the, the head of that organization said, Melissa, we would love for you to come up here and be a part of what we're doing at the headquarters here. And so they came and they stole her. They came and they stole her. <laughs> 
No, they made, they made Melissa an offer, and her family's prayed about it, and she feels led to go up there to Ohio. And Is it close to uh, Acker, Acker, Ohio? Akron, sorry, yeah. <clears throat> so this, this will be her last Sunday, I think, at Grace Life. And some of you already know that. Some of you may not. Uh, I'm not going to call everybody down here to lay hands on, on her. The reason her parents have not been coming has been for health. And so uh, she lives with her mom and dad, and we're not, we don't want to come and all spread our germs to her. Um, Sarah and I are going to lay hands on her and pray uh, for all of our congregation. You know, part of our culture here is a sinning culture. Am I sad? Of course I'm sad. I'm going to miss her, um, and I love her, but I'm excited, too, for what God has for Melissa. And no doubt it's going to be uh, exciting to see how he uses and just leverages and maximizes all her gifts um, there in Ohio. And the good news is you're still going to be doing some remote counseling, too, right? So those of you that have benefited and been helped by her gift that God gave her uh, are still going to have access to her. And if you're curious to know all that, we'll be putting that on the website, and you can talk to Melissa um, but I wanted you to know this would be the reason you won't see her anymore is because she is serving the Lord along with Dave and Lola uh, in Ohio. So Dave, Lola, Melissa, thank you so much. Thank you for all the ways you have loved, served, and supported not just the Lord, but Grace Life Church, me, my wife, our family, our kids. You guys have, have uh, in countless ways just demonstrated um, how to leverage your gifts for the kingdom. And even though you're leaving, you are leaving something even though you're going, you are leaving something here with us, a legacy, and you're leaving very large footprints and fingerprints and DNA, and you've left an impression on everybody. And so we're excited for you, and we're going to covenant to pray for you. And if there's any way we can serve you or help you, let us know, even if that means helping you move, get stuff packed up. I know those things can change as you're trying to close out some things on the house, but we're here for you. Let us know. So uh, can I lay hands on you with Sarah, and we're going to pray. You pray with her with us. Lord, thank you for Melissa and for Dave and Lola. We love them, Lord. We treasure them and cherish their friendship. And we see the gifts that you have given to them and how they have unselfishly uh, used those gifts, Lord, here to build your kingdom, to invest in people's lives, to serve people, to love people. They've done it well. They've done it consistently. They've done it sacrificially, Lord. Um, and we're grateful for that, Lord. And I know you're going to use them. You're going to give them some new relationships up there, Lord, where they're needed. People have been praying maybe for years, and this is an answer to their prayer. They're getting some help, and uh, we're going to feel the loss deeply. But, Lord, we want to send her with joyful hearts and uh, help us to remember them in our prayers. And we ask and pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Melissa. We love you. We love you, Dave and Lola. So do we have some announcements, Megan? Are you going to do those? And uh, then we'll be dismissed. Oh, we have new microphones. I didn't know how to turn that, turn that on. Sorry. Um, Together for Life is happening this month. I know we, I think it got mentioned. Um, I was in the back with the kids. I'm sorry if it didn't. But um, we partner with the Central Florida Pregnancy Center. Um, and I know we just did the COIN uh, fundraiser. And they're having a gala um, this month in November. Um, and it's virtual. It's online. Um, but if you would like to watch in person um, with others uh, from from the church, the Roths are hosting like a watch party um, at their home, um, November 13th at 7 p.m. 
And if you would like to participate in the um, watch party, watching in person, you can go on the app or the website under events and RSVP for that because there will be limited um, seating. Um, and if you would like to watch from home and join the gala from online, you can do that too. And that same information is right in the app. So um, that's a great way for you to learn about what the Central Florida Pregnancy Center is doing um, and how you can help for uh, the new year. I know I've mentioned before they offer um, ultrasounds and counseling um, for both men and women in the community who um, maybe are experiencing surprise pregnancies and they have resources and um, lots of really awesome things uh, for our community. So I encourage you to check that out this month and then um, later this month, we have uh, Fifth Sunday uh, has rolled around again, and we're really excited. Um, Tommy had mentioned this is a really special Sunday because we're in phase three. You notice we have coffee. The K through fifth are um, back gathering together. Um, so this Fifth Sunday, we will actually close our service with lunch together for the first time in um, I can't even remember um, when. So it'll be a really special time. We'll worship together as a family under the pavilion. So all ages will worship together. Um, we'll do baptisms and membership. And then, like I said, we'll close out with lunch. Um, we'll have a lunch catered uh, all together. And we'll be able to fellowship uh, in that way. So just know that Fifth Sunday is, uh, is coming up this month too. Um, and if you'd like to stay connected, um, we have our social media uh, sites on the website. You can sign up for email subscription. And then there's also info on there for texting if you prefer to be uh, stay connected in that way too. And that's all I have for you today. So if you want to stand up, we will uh, say our charge together before we go. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent.